This is Radio Maria and it's now time for Credo and we are with Father Bernardino Sukup, CFR, a Franciscan friar of the Renewal and he is back this week with his second reflection for Advent. Hello Father Bernardino, welcome back to Radio Maria. Hello, how are you? Great to be with you again. Thank you so much for joining us. Father Bernardino is a friar based at St. Patrick's Friary in Limerick in Ireland. But right now he is all the way um, across the, the ocean in America. So thank you for finding the time to, to speak to us um, this afternoon. Thank you. Yes, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Elizabeth. Well, my dear brothers and sisters, I want to greet you in the words of our Holy Father, St. Francis of Assisi. May the Lord give you his peace. I pray that in his peace, you may receive every grace and blessing you are in need of. As we have entered into this great season of Advent, during which we await joyfully the coming of Jesus. And again, as a little reminder from last week, the word Advent means coming. The coming of Jesus, right? For those of you who are joining us for the first time, Last week, I mentioned how my heart goes out to all of you, especially who are experiencing the loss of loved ones during this time. And I want to re-echo what a great trial it is for you and me who have lost loved ones this past year. And personally, I mentioned having lost both my parents in a span of nine months apart from each other. And now my sister-in-law. For both, my parent, for both my brother and I, Advent and Christmas will truly be a time of grieving in the midst of celebrating the coming of, of our Lord Jesus. But joy awaits us. And for some of us in the midst of great sorrow, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, let us keep each other in heartfelt prayer and offer a prayer now to consecrate the program to Our Lady. Heavenly Father, St. John the Baptist cries out in the wilderness like a roaring lion, as prophet Isaiah foretold, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. We pray, Lord, that you may open our hearts, that you may bring your light and your love, that we may be healed in the midst of great sorrows, difficulties, trials, that we may be made ready to receive your son this Christmas, not just in the crib, but in our hearts. We make this prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. And today let us ask St. Ambrose to pray for us um, as it is his feast day today. So St. Ambrose, pray for us. Before pro uh, proclaiming the gospel of, of Mark, it's important that we keep in mind St. Mark's intended audience so that we, the listeners, may be grounded and ready to grasp the significance of this gospel. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, the evangelist writes to Gentile converts and Roman believers who are going through persecution. Moreover, St. Mark tells us clearly in the opening verse of his gospel, his intended purpose. That is to proclaim 
that Jesus Christ is the son of God directly in the face of the opposition of the Roman empire, the persecutors and executioners of the early Christians. And just to keep in mind one last detail to, uh, that we want to consider, my dear brothers and sisters, how will we respond in the face of persecutors and perhaps even executioners who hate Christ and his disciples? Will we deny him like Peter? It's a painful question, isn't it? You see, traditionally, Peter is believed to be um, dictating his account to St. Mark. If you recall what happened to Peter, he denied the Lord three times, as Jesus foretold he would. However, unlike Judas, he was redeemed and forgiven for forgiven by Jesus when in, um, when in repentance, he wept bitterly for having betrayed the Lord. So what is the author trying to communicate personally for the intended, intended audience, excuse me, ourselves, right? Even a flawed character like Peter can be redeemed. Remember, he's the first pope. He wasn't perfect. He was being perfected. He was only one step away from Judas, mind you. But Jesus gazed into his eyes with compassion and forgiveness. So what does it mean for, for us, the audience? As mentioned above, the audience of Mark is going through persecution. They might even deny the Lord like Peter. And we ourselves, when we're put to the test in our weakness, not maliciously necessarily, but in our weakness, we can say, I do not know him because we're afraid. So in humility, they need to know that Jesus is always ready to forgive them. And when I say they, more personally us, right? We need to know that the Lord is always ready to forgive us, no matter what we have done, no matter how difficult it has become, and no matter what sins we've committed. And so, my dear brothers and sisters, I want to proclaim the gospel to you, okay? So hear the word, not just with your ears, but with your heart. So, my dear brothers and sisters, to the honor of our Lord Jesus Christ, a reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way a voice of one crying out in the, will, in, the, in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. John the Baptist appeared in the desert, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. People of the whole Judean country and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan as they acknowledged their sins. John was clothed in camel's heart, in, in camel's hair, 
with a leather belt around his waist. He fed on locusts and wild honey. And this is what he proclaimed. One mightier than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop and loosen the thongs of his sandals. I have baptized you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. I want to just begin with the opening verse because there it is, the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. Um, uh, this, uh, and he's, he's saying that Jesus is the Son of God. And that title, Son of God, is it's a very controversial titer, title. Um, not just among the Jews who crucified our Lord, but among the Romans. See, Julius Caesar, back in 40s, 42 BC or so, um, was called a divine Julius. And then he has an adopted son, 15 years later, Octavian, who is better known as Augustus. And he's called the son of the God. And then subsequent Caesars during the next couple of centuries in the common era are called son of God. And so it's pretty problematic for the Lord then to be the son of God. If there's only one Caesar among the Romans, right? So thus to be called the son of God during the Roman empire was extremely controversial and punishable by death. If guilty of treason. St. Mark knows this, and yet he must proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ as the Son of God, not Caesar, despite the consequences of treason against the Roman Empire. And just to pause, like treason, you could be guilty of treason at least in couple, uh, two ways at least. Okay, One, that you've actually killed the, the um, Roman Emperor, or you have just... Um, threatened to take his throne. Okay, so the Lord did come to dethrone not earthly kings, but Satan himself, who is the prince of this world, right? And so the Lord is ushering a kingdom, and he wants us to partake in it in a deep and profound way, which we'll discuss a little bit more in, a, in today's meditation. Essentially, the evangelist St. Mark is pinning the kingdom of Christ against the kingdom of the Romans. During Advent, we want to sing and we're encouraged to sing Maranatha. Maranatha, as some other people would might say, come Lord Jesus. And we pray in the hour of father, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we need to keep that in mind because we are asking God's kingdom to come. But in order for his kingdom to come, his will must be done in our lives personally. And two weeks ago, we celebrated on the Sunday, the solemnity of Christ the King to conclude the liturgical calendar, the cycle and usher in the new advent cycle precisely because the kingdom of God must come to thwart and overthrow Satan's kingdom on earth. 
that is all kingdoms not of God, including the Roman Empire, which, we eventually, which would eventually fall in the fifth century. So remember what the Jewish leaders said to Pontius Pilate um, when Caesar, uh, when, when, um, when Pontius Pilate was uh, there with the, with the Jewish leaders and the people and Jesus was on trial, they said, we have no king but Caesar. And in, in essence, they have apostatized. They are totally gone a separate way from God in that statement. In fact, they, later on, they even said, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. In other words, the Jewish leaders cursed themselves and the whole people of God. That is not taken lightly by God. And Jesus is on trial for being innocent. And so one other thing we also want to remember is how these leaders vehemently forced Pontius Pilate to crucify the Lord. In John's gospel, he writes, upon this, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you release him, this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king sets himself against Caesar. Now, Jesus came quietly, didn't he? He came in the silent of the night. And in fact, for 30 years, he was silent. And only the last three years, he, he proclaimed openly uh, that he has come by the Father's bidding and to establish his kingdom on earth and in us. So Jesus is coming as the God-man would indeed establish his kingdom or on, uh, his kingdom on earth. And the visible sign of his reign is the Roman Catholic Church. Consecrated in his blood and the blood of all the martyrs. The first three centuries, remember this, the first three centuries were marked with the blood of the popes. All the popes were being martyred the first 300 years and so many other Christians it was not until Emperor Constantine comes along the way that he legalized um, the Christian faith. And so therefore it was, a, it was uh, illegal to kill any Christians. And so we ought to, where would Jesus fight? But the thing is to realize where would Jesus fight his, his battle against Satan and his kingdom? And I want to just pause on that note and just bring it over to, I'll give it over to Elizabeth just for a moment's break. And we'll come back to this question. Where would Jesus fight the battle against Satan and his kingdom? So we'll be with you soon. Thank you so much, Father Bernardino. Let's have a listen to The Earth Stood Still from Future of Forestry. A teenage girl and her soon-to-be A simple trip for as they could see The sky was clear and the hour serene But did they know what the night would bring? 
Lonely hearts strewn across the land They'd been waiting long for a healing hand My heart was there and I felt a chill When love came down and the earth stood still When love came down and the earth stood still Shepherds stood under stormy skies Tasting grace that would change their lives The angels trembled and the demons did too For they knew very well what pure grace would do That was The Earth Stood Still from Future of Forestry here on Radio Maria. And it's Credo with Feather Bernardino Sukup, who is taking us through um, the readings for this uh, second Sunday of Advent. So thank you, Father Bernardino, and back over to you. Thank you, Elizabeth. So we want to come back to this question again. Where would Jesus fight the battle against Satan and his kingdom? The battleground was the desert. 
And is it's the desert that is so lifeless. It's the desert that is so difficult to live in. There's no water. There's the intense heat. And you need protection from the element of heat uh, and, and the windstorms and sandstorms and all that that may come your way. And so there we see Jesus battling him, this, the evil one. And so we have a symbol of death when we think of the desert. And, and it's a sign of evil and the evil one. And the place of repentance and living of and a living a life of penance is also the desert. You know, when you think of the desert fathers in the early, early church, and more even earlier than that, St. John the Baptist, right? He was, you can think of the first hermit who was St. John the Baptist, perhaps, uh, at least in the uh, New Testament. And he was clothed in camel's hair and a belt around his waist, we're told in the gospel. And he prayed and fasted, even though the gospel doesn't say that, but when you're living a life in the desert, you are praying and fasting because you are, uh, he is his, he's the precursor to Jesus. And so he has to be ready to do his mission, which is to prepare the way. And so he would be praying and fasting in the desert. And he only lived off of locusts and wild honey. He baptized sinners with a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as we hear in the gospel again. And then we want to think of St. Anthony of the desert, the founder of Eastern monasticism and hermits and monks um, living in the desert, living away from secular living and the, the busyness of life. Now in Ireland, it's a very unique place because there is no desert here. Neither is there a desert in the UK. Um, but then where would the monks go, right? Well, there is, uh, they inhabited Skellig Michael, this little island, rugged. I've been there only once. Man, those steps nearly killed me walking up those steps on, on the mountain. And there the monks depended on the rain for water. They depended on fishing for uh, the fish for food and even people coming in on boats. But there they weathered the elements, the, the storms that came, the wind, the lightning, if there was lightning, because lightning, you know, lightning is kind of rare, but it does happen in Ireland. And there they were not, not, you know, exposed to this, heaviness of rain and the roaring of seas it was an easy life it was not an easy life but they were doing penance they were and combating the evil one and that's the life of monastics the, the monks that lived out there the nuns um, and so jesus himself is driven by the holy spirit to combat the evil one directly after his baptism in the waters of the Jordan River and directly before his public ministry. And this is very important because he needs to be ready. Jesus himself needs to be ready for the mission. And for 30 years, he's been preparing himself in the silence, but now he's baptized and, our, and the Father's voice is heard. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And so it's public. And so he went into the desert and he fought him. 
And Jesus would later proclaim the, that the kingdom of God is at hand. This was his public ministry to, to be in the face of opposition and to usher in the kingdom of God. And it's at hand because he is present. Jesus is present there and now before all those who've been waiting for him in the, among the Jewish people and those who didn't even know him. And so Jesus inaugurates his kingdom in the desert by defeating Satan. And three times he wins against the temptations of the evil one. In ancient Israel, if you remember, the chosen people of God were exiled a second time in the desert, into the desert by the Babylonians, because they were unfaithful. They were so unfaithful that they offered their own children to demons. Their own children. It's like pagan sacrifices when you think of the Aztec Indians or others. They were so misled and so misguided and so lost that God had no choice but to let them be captivated again so that God could speak to their hearts, as Prophet Hosea uh, proclaims, exclaims in his, in, his pro, in, in his prophetic book. Speak to their hearts. You know, in the desert, in the silence, when everything is removed, their place of worship is no longer. They have no one but God among them now to talk to directly without a place of worship. And I want you to also remember that the desert is also the place where the Eucharist was foreshadowed in the first captivity of the Hebrews who wandered in the desert for 40 years. What did they live off of? Yes, they had quails because they groaned and, mum and mumbled and, um, you know, because they, they're, they're, they're not getting enough sustenance. But first they got the manna. Uh, the bread from heaven. And in the New Testament, Jesus himself feeds the 5,000 in the desert by with the multiplication of the loaves. And if you remember, besides what I've mentioned about the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy, where Moses writes, and he humbled you and let your hunger and fed you with manna, which, would not, which you did not know nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live on bread alone, but that man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. And Jesus himself used this very scripture to combat Satan's temptation where he said, well, break, uh, command the stone to become bread. And Jesus says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In Matthew's gospel and in Mark's, we hear that the disciples among the, um, that Jesus among the disciples said this, where we, where are we to, um, where the disciples asked, where are we to get bread enough to, to uh, in this, in the desert to feed so great a crowd? In the desert, right? Where are we to get enough food in the desert? And again, in Mark's gospel, he writes, how can one feed these men with bread here in the desert? So again, this, in, this theme of the desert. And the Eucharist 
for us is the food for martyrs, especially for us who are mar martyrs, whether in blood or in white martyrdom, living day to day. And so we have to keep that in mind that the, Jesus, God himself, God the Father had this in mind when he fed the Israelites in the desert with manna, that the Eucharist would be given to us uh, because we have been famished for without him. And he wants to feed us in, every, in, in all our aspects of life, um, not just in the ways of physical hunger, but more spiritual hunger to strengthen us in the journey. And I just want to, with this theme on the Eucharist, um, I want to move into, in the gospel, how John has come to make straight his paths. And, you know, we cannot receive Jesus in the Eucharist in a state of mortal sin. I see this too often at funerals. People who are not ready to receive Jesus, they haven't been to confession in years, perhaps. I don't know their hearts. But I do know some people who have been in funerals and they receive Jesus and not even going to mass on Sunday. So they're living in a state of sin and they're receiving Jesus sacri sacrilegiously. They're not ready. And, and St. Paul tells us we must be ready. Otherwise, if we receive him in our uh, guilt and sin, then we condemn ourselves and it hurts us to receive him in this way in the book of in, in his letter to the Corinthians. And so we have to be ready to remove the obstacles of sin in our hearts because it's sin that hardens our hearts. And this is a theme that I mentioned briefly last week. And prophet Ezekiel prophesied about Israel, about this very fact about their hardened hearts being converted and transfigured and changed and given new hearts, right? He, he prophesied, and I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them. I will make the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. That they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and obey them. And that they shall be my people and I will be their God. If you think about the fleshly heart, one image that comes to me immediately is the heart of Jesus in the sacred heart image that we have so beautifully depicted. Sometimes we see Jesus pointing to his heart and other times we see him offering his heart in his hand. And so that prayer, Jesus, meek and humble of heart, make our hearts like unto thine, is a beautiful prayer during this time of Advent because we're asking Jesus to come, to come into our hearts, and our hearts must be readied. They must become meek and humble like his. And we have to learn from him. And we have to take his yoke, which is light, and, his, and, and take it upon us with him. And a yoke, remember a yoke is something that two must carry. Two animals would be yoked together. And so Jesus is making this reference, I want to yoke you in my love, and I will help you carry the trials of life. 
so that your love may be perfected. And so he's with us and helping us and walking step by step as we're joined to him. And in Alabama, when I, this brings to mind a, a little story in Alabama, when I was a friar with the Franciscan missionaries of the eternal word, if, you, if some of you might hear or have heard of EWTN, EWTN is eternal word television network. And I was studying philosophy in, the, in their house of studies. The construction workers were building a bypass uh, through the Rocky Hills in Irondale. And they used dynamite to blast away and make straight the path. And in fact, it was so, the blast was so big that the debris um, from the blast was heard on top of the roof where we would be studying a few particles of rock landed on there. So the dynamite though, for our Lord, the dynamite that he uses is his inexhaustible love to break open the stony human heart hardened by sin. It's his dynamic love that will break open any heart. If that heart is just, just even a crack in that heart invites him in but he can work with all kinds of hearts, right? He can work with those that are most difficult and uses circumstances in life to break open the heart. And what is the instrument of that love? It's the cross. And if we want to, I just want to just pause for a moment again and just remind you of a story. Um, when I was in Jerusalem on pilgrimage while I was in seminary, and our, our, our um, my brain just went, excuse me. Um, our guide, Fabrizio, um, was there with us. And I asked him a question because I saw these huge stones toppled down uh, around the wall of Jerusalem, the Western Wall. And I asked him, how in the world could these stones be carved so huge, so massive? They didn't have the instruments we have today. And he said they used to chisel into the limestone and, and make a, a little and make a crevice there and then pack it in with wood, dried wood. And they would drip water on it. And then the stone would break open and make a, a clean cut. And when I was thinking of that, it came to me, the Lord gave me this image because um, I got it from a meditation of Pope Leo the Great. And when I'm thinking of the wood of the cross in the earth, and this is historical, this actually happened. The earth quaked and broke open. The stone was broken open by the cross. And Jesus' blood drenched it, soaked it. And the cross broke open the earth and you can when you go to jerusalem you can see that fissure there you can see how where the earth qua uh, quaked and everything was destroyed and the temple was even you know ruined uh, uh not completely but it was it was affected and so i'm thinking of this this image of the dynamic love of the lord and how he breaks open the heart and how the wood of the cross must come in and break it open and the question that arises for me 
is to what extreme might God use a situation in our personal lives to break open our hearts? Perhaps physical, spiritual, or emotional suffering, or all of those. Sometimes tragedies. Tragedies can elicit in us tremendous suffering. Perhaps as we grieve the loss of loved ones. My dear brothers and sisters, sometimes conversion happens this way. And perhaps at the expense of the loss of a wife, a child, a parent, whatever the case may be. I mean, it's happening now in my brother's life at the expense of the, his wife's death. And he, even, he himself even told me he can't grieve without him. And so sometimes the hardest things of life are used by God to break open our hearts. And that's the, that's the price we must pay sometimes in a way of allowing God to come in because we're so far away from him. We've turned our backs to him and he's like the hound of heaven coming after us. He never gives up on us. He's constantly at work in our lives. Even whether we see it or not, he's at work. Take any uh, tragedies, any natural disasters. Uh, sometimes people say the wrong question or ask the wrong question. Where is God in all this? He's there. Remember, he was in a storm with the apostles. Remember, he was on the, on the cross dying in agony. He's there. And what kind of God would allow such a thing? Well, a God who loves us enough to allow us to suffer, to come back to him as the Israelites were so far away from him that he had to bring him into the desert and have them suffer so that they may come back to their senses. And same with us, my dear brothers and sisters, the saints among us, they suffered in, in darkness. They had great suffering. And yet God permitted it because he was trying to recreate their heart in a way that's more like his own. And so when we think of repentance and forgiveness, we want to call to mind um, uh, the second reading of today from the letter of St. Peter. And in that letter, uh, just a couple of verses, we hear St. Peter say, but do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slow, as some count slowness, slowness, but is forbearing towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. See the, see the patience of God. Another scriptures will, uh, another translation of the same scripture would say the patience of God. He's patient with us poor sinners because he knows he need, that we need him. And so he's slow to act in a way of, uh, he doesn't condemn us. He wants to come re meet us where we are. And sometimes we're not ready to receive his love completely. So he comes gently and he waits for us to return to him. And St. Peter is reminding us of this, that God's patience is for our, for our salvation. 
My dear brothers and sisters, I just want to turn it over to Elizabeth this, at this point, and we'll come back shortly. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father Bernardino, um, for speaking so beautifully and openly about your own family as well. Father Bernardino has been speaking about um, suffering and where is God in all of it. So let's have a listen to what a friend I have found from Delirious.
got a friend I found in Jesus from Delirious here on Credo on Radio Maria with Father Bernardino, who is talking to us about um, preparing our hearts for Jesus this Advent. And back over to you, Father Bernardino. Thank you, Elizabeth. So this theme, my dear brothers and sisters, about being ready, we can think of St. Peter again in his uh, letter that he that we hear in the reading today um, where he exhorts us and warns us he says but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise and the elements will be dissolved with fire and the earth and the works that are upon it will be burnt burned up since all these things are thus to be dissolved what sort of persons ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness waiting for the waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the law of god because of which the heavens will be kindled and dissolved and the elements will melt with fire therefore beloved since you wait for these be zealous to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Those are pretty frightening words. We heard them last week, but even more so now, being the elements dissolved in fire, being purified by fire. Now, that's a reality that will happen. The Lord is telling us this, uh, not just in, uh, in the writings of St. Peter, inspired by the Lord, but... Uh, he himself um, proclaims that, you know, the, there'll be an end time and things will be as, will, will he find faith uh, among us? You know, these are critical times we're talking about. And so, but he doesn't want us to be focused on the, on the, on the last, on the end times. In other words, when will he come? No, he comes to us now every day and he wants us to be ready. Just to reiterate that from last week. He doesn't want us to be threatened and um, just uh, like afraid uh, when he comes again. But he wants you to and me to be ready with our hearts open to him. And see, Jesus himself tells us in Matthew's gospel that you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And this is the greatest sermon of our Lord on the mount. So we are to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. And he goes on and says, if you would be perfect to the rich young man, if you would be perfect, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. In other words, don't hold on to these things on earth. You know, the rich young man had the treasures, but he, want, he has heavenly treasures waiting for him. He wants to know how to enter the kingdom of heaven. But he's holding on, you see, and he walks away sad because he can't let go. And the invitation from the Lord is to let go of everything, every sorrow, every burden, especially, my dear brothers and sisters, when we have unforgiveness in our hearts. This is the, this is the critical thing for the Lord. If you want his healing, you must ask him for the grace, at least a grace for the desire to forgive, if not to forgive right away. It takes steps, baby steps to get there, I understand. Uh, I've had to work through it myself. 
but we must allow the Lord to work in our hearts and we have to be open. And St. James tells us when suffering comes, count it all joy, my brethren, when you meet various trials. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This scripture was very personal to my life. Because when I left the community in Alabama, I mentioned the Franciscan missionaries of the eternal word. I love them so much and I still do. But the Lord had me move and it was very painful, a very painful process for me. I had no idea what, what was going to happen. But he was trying to conform my heart more like his, unto his, and to trust in him even more and to go deeper. And so he, he took me from my comfort and brought me to New York. I would never have gotten to, gone to New York because I don't, I like to visit cities once in a while, but to live in them, that was far beyond me, right? And so he was perfecting me. And see, this is the thing. What does it mean to be perfect? It's not just the removal of our, the guilt of our sin. That's the beginning step. We must make a good and holy confession. I want to re-echo that from last week. Go and see your priests and make a good holy confession. For those of us, those of you who are Catholic, if you are not Catholic, find the time to speak to God about the Lord to forgive you the, your sins. You know, talk to him and let go of everything. Let all your burdens down at his feet. And not only that, but we must allow the woundedness in our hearts to be healed. And I can't think of a better way because I just recently went through it myself. Just after the passing of my mom, I, I just had a lot of anger in my heart. And a lot of things that were uh, getting in the way of the Lord. And so I went and, and met um, this beautiful woman uh, who founded the Healing of Memories, the Little Way Healing Ministries. And so I just want to encourage you uh, in this way, the Little Way Healing Ministries. You can Google that. And it's, she's in the UK. Um, my brain just went, so her name escapes me as we come to a close in this program. <laughs> Forgive me, um, but she was amazing with Father Lawrence, and um, she, they helped me, you know, bring healing to my heart. And so their sin causes us to be wounded, and going to confession removes the guilt, but the wounds remain. And so we need to invite the Lord deeper into our hearts to bring healing to our hearts more and more, more and more. Uh, where human beings and God in his tenderness and gentleness doesn't come full force. We couldn't handle that. He wants to come slowly and gently. And he invites you and me for healing. And I'm not any better than you. I'm a poor sinner like yourselves. And I need healing like yourselves. Uh, as a priest, I need even more. Uh, we are always under attack and the, and the attacks can be great. And so we need to stay close to Jesus and we need to remember that our memories have these pains and the, and the way that this ministry works is it invites the Holy, they invite the Holy spirit into the prayer. They give you the scriptures to read from. You just open randomly after praying to the Holy spirit, you open randomly. And I, and I believe it or not, I landed on the book of Maccabees and there it talked about the mother and her sons. And that's what I needed to hear, you know? So the Lord speaks through scripture and I received healing. It wasn't like a lightning like kind of healing, like, wow. But it was a, it was a gentle, silent healing in my heart. 
And the Lord invites us to that healing. It doesn't have to be all this grandiose kind of uh, experience as some people have, like St. Paul. But um, my dear brothers and sisters, I can't stress enough this need for healing in our hearts, inner healing. Um, sometimes there needs to be deliverance. Uh, another source that's very good is Unbound Ministries. Uh, well, Neil, Neil Lozano, um, uh, American-Italian author and um, disciple of the Lord in ministry, bringing healing to people through deliverance. All these are great sources and so I encourage you, my dear brothers and sisters, and I just want to conclude with a prayer, um, asking the Lord for this healing in our hearts. Lord Jesus, meek and humble of heart, make our, life, make our hearts like unto thine. Help us in every way, most especially, Lord, in these areas where we've been wounded in our hearts, the deepest, darkest recesses of our hearts where we need you to come with your light with your love, with your warmth and compassion. Console us, heal us, break open our hearts, break open those areas that have been so deadened by pain and suffering and sin, and give resurrection to those places in our hearts. We make this prayer through your most holy name, Lord Jesus. Amen. And in these last moments, I just want to bless you. May Almighty God bless you. May he shine his face upon you and give you his peace, his healing, his strength. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.